Amen. Well, we are having a great passage. If you've got your Bibles, please open them up to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're jumping ahead to um, almost a chapter today. And um, so Dan's bringing us a wonderful passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. Please open your Bibles. Please follow it along. We've got to follow what Dan's saying. We've got to follow what God's saying. And um, bring your Bibles each week. 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 to 19. It says this. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, and as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer... It would not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is a time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Thanks, Dan. We look forward to hearing God's word. Thank you, Mark. Well, good morning, church. How are we all? Look at all you beautiful people out there. <laughs> it's so good to see you. You know, when you look around you, right here, right now, at church. One thing you notice is that we're all very different, aren't we? Yeah? We're different. We don't, we don't look the same. We don't act alike. We don't dress alike. We have different tastes in food, the books we read, the cars we drive, the, the music we listen to. We've got different backgrounds, different goals, different motivations in our lives. We ascribe to a variety of different philosophies and, and we differ over politics. We have our own convictions when it comes to raising children and, and their education. Our weights vary, our heights vary, even our, our skin colour varies. But there is one thing, one thing that we all have in common. We all know what it means to hurt, don't we? Suffering is... A universal language. Tears are the same for Muslims, for Hindus, for Buddhists and for Christians. For white or black or brown. For everyone from children to the elderly. When life hurts, when our dreams fade, we may express our anguish in different ways but each one of us knows the sting of pain and heartache of trials and sufferings. And a Joseph Parker, an English preacher from the 1800s, once said, he said, speak to the suffering and you will never lack an audience. There is a broken heart in every crowd. You can change that to speak to the suffering and you will never lack a congregation. Right? There is a broken heart in every pew. You know, Jesus promises us Several things in scripture, a whole bunch of things. 
But let me tell you first what he doesn't promise us. He doesn't promise us that we're going to be rich. He doesn't promise us that we're going to be physically healthy all of the time. Jesus did not promise us that when you drive up the coast for a holiday in the middle of summer, that it's going to be wet and cold and raining for two weeks, like it was for us last summer. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't promise that. He doesn't promise you that our gutters wouldn't get so blocked up <laughs> with dead leaves and other kinds of muck that you're going to spend all of Saturday cleaning all that stuff up, like I did last weekend. Jesus didn't promise us a lot of things. But what he did promise us is this, that if you're a faithful follower of Christ, if you are set apart, if you're a stranger living in strange times, Jesus promised us that the world would hate us and the world would persecute us and that we would experience trials and we would experience suffering. And that's why I'd like to welcome you to Tingabi Baptist Church today where we want to make you feel good. <laughs> As strangers living in strange times, how do we live beautiful lives? That's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks from 1 Peter. How do we live beautiful lives? Remember, Peter is writing this letter to first century believers, first century Christians who are being severely persecuted for their faith. They were often being tortured. And they were often being killed under, under an extremely evil emperor called Nero who among, among many other things had his mum killed, he had his first wife Octavia killed, and many historians believe he had his second wife killed as well, although there's not that much evidence for that. But that's the common belief. This guy had an insatiable desire for power. He had an insatiable desire to build for himself. And so when the Senate wouldn't allow him to demolish certain parts of Rome and, and rebuild them in his honour, what did he do? He actually set fire to the city of Rome. It was a fire that burned for seven days. Seven straight days. You can imagine the majority of Rome burning. Then the fire starts to, to simmer down and, and it looks like it's under control, but then it sparks back up and burns for three more days. And what does he do? He blames the Christians for it. He says... These followers of Jesus, they did it. They set the fire. They lit it. And so you can imagine what life would have been like for these already persecuted believers when all of Rome now thinks they did this. They torched the city. The pressure and the persecution on these people would have been next level. And so in the midst of all these horrors... The Apostle, Paul, the Apostle Peter sorry, writes these words to them. He says, Dear friends, have a look at your, your Bibles there, chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the, listen to this, fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. I think Peter here is, is literally speaking to them. The city is burning. The other thing Nero did, this evil emperor did, he would, he would capture Christians he would dip them, have their bodies dipped in a flammable material like pitch or tar. He would then tie them like this along the entrance to his palace, along trees and fence posts, and he would light them up at night while he entertained guests. Essentially, these Christians would be burning candles and they would light up the night sky of Rome. 
And he says, do not be surprised at this fiery ordeal that you're experiencing. Now, when you look at this, this verse, can I just start with those first two words? It says, dear friends, dear friends. Another version uses the word beloved. How important do you think it would have been for these believers to hear that, yes, they were loved by Peter and they were considered dear by him, but more importantly, that they were loved by God and that they were dear to God. Because when you're suffering, it's easy to question God's love, isn't it? Where's God when it hurts? Has he left? Has he turned away? Has he abandoned? Has he forsaken? Has he stopped loving? No, God loves you and treasures you in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your suffering, even if you don't feel it. Dear friends, he says, beloved. You know, I hope that today's message will further confirm to you that we are indeed strangers living in a strange land and in strange times. And I hope that it, it will inspire you to live beautiful lives, countercultural lives, for the sake of the gospel. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So my first point for today is this. Expect suffering. Peter is telling these people who are going through unspeakable horrors, he's saying to them, don't be shocked, right? Don't be surprised that if you're living boldly for Jesus that you would face opposition. And I want to say the same thing to you this morning. If you are living beautiful lives for Christ, don't be shocked when you're criticised, when you're ridiculed, when you go through trials, suffering, challenges, whatever you want to call them. Don't be surprised when hard times come into your life. And let me challenge you here for a moment. And this might get a little bit uncomfortable, but I think that's okay because we need to be comfortable sometimes with being uncomfortable. Recently, my daughter Elise took part in a fun six-week soccer tournament. Now, she's never played soccer before. She has no passion for soccer. But she wanted to play because a few of her friends were playing and she wanted to join in too. But she's never played. She's got no passion for it. And so she's not that, really that good at it. There's a photo of her. That's the only photo I got of her actually kicking the ball. <laughs> the other 34 shots, it was just air swings. But anyway... And when she ran onto the field, the opposition, they weren't too concerned about her being there. Why do you think that is? Because she was more interested in looking at the, the cute dogs in the park or chatting to her friend at the back of the, back of the pitch away from the action. She wasn't a threat, that's why. She wore the jersey, but she wasn't engaged in the game. She wasn't in the game most of the time. Now, there was a young boy, a kid called Vivash, on her team. Now, Vivash loves soccer. He's been playing for a couple of years now. And you can just see, you can see the energy and the passion in, the, in his kid's eyes as soon as his feet hit that field. He wants the ball. He wants to score for his team. And he often does. He's a weapon. Now, how do you think the opposing teams treat him? Do you think they ignore him like they do Elise? No. They all zero in on him. And their sole focus is to stop him 
or preventing him from doing anything beneficial for his team. He's a weapon. This kid is a threat to them. If you're a Christian and you love Jesus, but you're not fully engaged, you're not in the game. You know, you may come to church whenever it fits in with your schedule. You may give if you have some money left over after or before the next pay. You may pray and read your Bible, but only if time permits. You have gifts, but you don't want really to use them much, if at all, because it's, it's just too tiring and, it's, and it's, it's all too much. It's all too time-consuming. Your heart's not really in it. How do you think the enemy sees you? He probably doesn't think about you much at all because he doesn't see you as a threat. However... If you're a Christian who understands that you're an alien, that you're a foreigner passing through this world and that you're only here for a time, if you're a Christian who's passionate about living a beautiful life for Jesus, if you have gifts that you use to encourage others and, 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 and draw the lost into the kingdom of God, if you pray bold prayers and you pray and read God's word daily because you want to know him better and you want to grow in your relationship with God, how do you think the enemy will see you then? Is he going to ignore you? He will do everything in his power to hinder you from doing good work for God. Because you're a threat to him. In fact, he will not only try and stop you from living a beautiful life for Christ, but he will want to make you suffer. And here's the thing. God often allows it. Expect it. Expect suffering. Do not be surprised by it when it comes. You know, imagine a soldier enlisting in a battle. And then he, he goes into war and then he comes back to his commanding officer and he says, Sir, sir, they're firing at me. They're firing at me. I didn't think this was going to happen. What do you think his officer is going to respond with? What did you expect? We're at war. You see, church, Christianity is not a playground. Right? It's a battleground. Peter here refers to this as a fiery ordeal. You see, he doesn't try and sugarcoat the reality and the, and the, and the difficulty of suffering. It's hard, man. It's painful. We don't want to go through it. Often it's like going through a fire. But for a believer, it is inevitable. Amazingly, though, Peter reminds us that this painful suffering has a purpose. Verse 12, have a look at verse 12, the, the bottom half of it. It tells us that the fiery ordeal has come on you to do what? To test you. It's not accidental. It's not random. It's not outside of God's sovereign control. It has a purpose. So don't be surprised when it comes. Not only because your beautiful life is a threat to the enemy, not only because we live in a world that is hostile to, to God and his people, but because he is using our suffering for our good and our godliness. He is using it to test our faith and to refine our character. What does James say? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because it 
does what? It produces perseverance and character and hope. All good things, right? Expect suffering. The second point for today is exult in suffering. Exult in suffering. Have a look with me at the next two verses. 1 Peter chapter 4. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. (laughs) What? What on earth is Peter saying here? Rejoice in persecution? Rejoice in suffering? You see, Peter's taking it to the next level here. If this isn't countercultural, I don't know what is. Again, we see in this letter of 1 Peter, we see teaching that is extremely, extremely countercultural. Because our culture is so convincing that the most important thing for many of us, even us Christians, is the pursuit of comfort, isn't it? I mean, I would rather have a comfortable conversation with you than one that is confrontational. I'd rather have a nice, easy day than one that is full of pain. Comfort is often something that we'll pursue at all costs and avoid discomfort at all costs. Even our prayers are often prayers of, God, please bring comfort into my life. Please, Take away this suffering. I don't want it anymore. I'm done with it. But Peter here is saying that we rejoice because it's a privilege to partner with and to identify with Jesus, at least to a degree, in the trials that he suffered for our salvation. He gives us the honour of being fellow participants with Jesus. And as we identify with Christ in his sufferings now, in this life, how much more will we, will we rejoice at the time in the future when his glory is revealed and then we share in that glory? I mean, isn't this what we want? Not just to be spectators and bench warmers watching this redemption, this salvation being played out, but to be brought onto the field, to be engaged, to be included in the game. Isn't that what we want? The Apostle Paul understood this. And it was his motivating, and it was the motivating force that caused him to embrace suffering for Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul writes these words. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow he doesn't understand yet fully but somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead did you get that i want to i want to participate in the sufferings of christ paul writes so we can we can rejoice now as knowing that as we suffer god is at work in us until that last day when his glory will be fully revealed. And furthermore, we also rejoice in the fact that Christian suffering is an indication that 
we belong to Jesus. Because it says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, this reference to the spirit of glory is from Isaiah chapter 11, where the future Messiah is promised that God's spirit would rest on him for his mission in the world. Now stop and think about the implications of this for a moment. The same spirit who rested on Christ now rests on us. How do we know? Because we are suffering in his name. You see, suffering is not an indication that God has abandoned us. Instead, it is an indication that God is working in us because we belong to him and so his spirit rests on us. It's all radically different from what our culture tells us, isn't it? Culture tells us, avoid trials and avoid suffering at all costs, right? Man, if I, if I didn't have to suffer and, and, if, and if I didn't have to go through trials, life would be glorious. Uh-uh, not true. The world insists that the absence of suffering brings glory, but the Bible says the opposite. The presence of suffering brings glory. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? That's who we fix our eyes on, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Now listen to this. For the joy set before him, right? So he's got joy before him, but before that he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus endured the horrors and the pain and the suffering of the cross because he knew that it was the cross that would bring joy. It was the cross that would bring glory. And it did. Point number three. So what's point number one? Expect suffering. Point number two, exult in suffering or rejoice. It's another word for rejoice. Point number three, evaluate your suffering. Evaluate your suffering. Now, I love this because in the next couple of verses, Peter gives us a bit of a Gives us a bit of a reality check, right? Have a look at verses 15 and 16, 1 Peter chapter 4. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, the name Christian. Now let's just think back to the original audience that Peter is writing to. They're Gentile believers who are undergoing persecution like you've never seen before. They're having their properties confiscated from them. They're being pursued, interrogated, tortured in various ways, and many of them are being killed. All because they believe in and follow Jesus. It's the only reason. And when you suffer like this, when you suffer unjustly, what do you want to do? You want to strike back. You want to fight back, don't you? <laughs> but Peter stresses here that persecution is no excuse for lawlessness. Right? Christians were not to retaliate. Physical violence and torture was not to be met with murder. Confiscation of property was not to be compensated by theft. No matter what their trials, 
Christians were to do nothing that would justify punishing them as criminals. So you shouldn't suffer as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal. Got it. Makes sense, right? Don't break the law. But then Peter says, or even as a meddler. (laughs) This is interesting because meddling in in someone else's affairs, sticking your nose in someone else's business, being a a busybody, (laughs) these things aren't a crime. It's not a crime to do that, but it is a sin, isn't it? It is sinful. I believe that what Peter is saying here is that the suffering that I experience, that comes as a result of my failures, that comes as a result of my stupidity, that comes as a result of my sin, is not really suffering. Well, it's suffering, but it's a different type of suffering. Because let's be real, that sort of suffering is self-inflicted. And he's not suffering or, or persecution because of me living a beautiful life for Jesus, for Christ. It's not. Instead, it is the consequences of my sin which does not bring glory, but instead brings wrath and judgment. Let's not get the two mixed up. Let's, not be, let's be careful not to confuse shaming Christ's name when we sin and suffer because of it with honouring God's name when we suffer for him. However, he says, if you are a Christian, sorry, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. You know, it was around this time when Peter wrote this letter that the term Christian first started being used. But it was used by unbelievers as an offensive term to those who loved and followed Jesus. It wasn't a nice word. It was designed to be an insult. It was designed to cause shame, embarrassment. But what did those first century believers do? They turned the insult around and turned it into a badge of honour, didn't they? And that's what we've got to do. Don't be ashamed when you suffer because you're a Christian. Instead, use it as an opportunity to honour God and to give people a high opinion of our Lord. Now this was personal for Peter because he was, let me tell you, he was definitely ashamed of Christ when he denied him three times, wasn't he? And later on, however, he had learned his lesson and he turned that completely around. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles are captured, right? They're captured and they're they're brought before the high priest and they're brought before all the elders of Israel, the Sanhedrin, for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter is in that group of apostles. In fact, Peter is probably the most outspoken of them all. He speaks up for Christ more than any of them. But look what happens at the end of that chapter, Acts chapter 5. It says, They called the apostles in and they had them flogged. And this isn't just a slap on the wrist. This is a flogging. This is pain. This is what we described in today's way as torture. Right? So they're flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. What state of mind do you think they were in? Feeling sorry for themselves, doubling over in pain, questioning God? No, it says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing 
rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That's name with a capital N. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter knew firsthand what it meant to not be ashamed, but instead to rejoice and to praise God when suffering for being a follower of Jesus. And finally, point number four, entrust your suffering. Have a look at the final verse in today's passage, verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now the term commit here is a banking term and it means to deposit for safekeeping. Jesus used the exact same word when he he cried out in a loud voice from the cross. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Have you deposited your suffering, your life, into his hands for safekeeping? Notice the key here is to trust God's character. He's referred to as the creator and he's called faithful. He made you, but he also made challenges for you. And he can be fully trusted while you're going through those challenges because he is perfectly faithful. You know, it's easy to entrust your life to God when life is going well and things are good. But Peter here wants even those who suffer to trust God when they're suffering according to God's will, the passage says. That is, not for being murderers, not for being thieves, not for being any other criminal or or meddler, not because of your sin. You know, we assume that we're good with God when we're happy, when we're well, when life is going smooth. But trouble and trials and, and difficult times raise hard questions about our relationship with God and about his intent for our lives, even his character. We question his character. Man, it's, it's hard to entrust my life to God when I'm suffering, especially, especially when that suffering is unjust and is actually the consequences of living obediently to him. And I think Peter here is alluding to the idea of following in Jesus' footsteps. Because what did Christ do when he was unjustly accused, when he went through suffering? Flip back, if you've got your Bibles open, flip back to 1 Peter chapter 2 for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. It says, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. This example of of trusting God, even to death, is the example that Jesus left behind for us to follow as Christians. And how is this trust expressed when you're suffering? Continue to do good. That's it. 
It's simple, so simple, yet so profound. Continue to do good. Continue to live as a believer. Continue to love God. Continue to live for Jesus. Continue to serve those around you. Do not let persecution and suffering lead you away from your calling in Christ because those things, those challenges, those, those trials, they're a part of that calling that you have. Don't avoid them. We continue to do good and we trust God with the results. Let me tell you something. If you are like this world, the world will love you. It will embrace you as its own. You will never be persecuted. But if you follow and you trust Jesus, you cannot be like this world. Why? Because you're a foreigner. You're an alien. You're an exile. And you were just passing through, your, through this world on your way to a much, much better one. You won't raise your kids like this world. You won't use your money like this world. You won't have the same conversations like this world. You will have different values to this world. And if you are not like this world, then guess what? <laughs> this world will hate you. And there will be persecution, and there will be trials, and there will be suffering. Is it fun? Of course it's not fun. But the strange thing is that it, it does something to you. It makes you, makes you realise, I'm a follower of Christ. The spirit of glory and of God rests on me. And it builds, it, it builds some kind of boldness in you. It makes you realise you are a, you're not here for a long time. You're a foreigner. It, ma it makes these words come alive. It makes you realise you're different. So here's the thing, I know it's, it sounds weird, <laughs> I acknowledge that, but I sometimes wonder if it might not be a bad thing if we experienced a little bit more persecution than we currently do here in Australia. Because persecution never hurts the church, it always strengthens the church. You know, when I look back to the first century church, I see a church that is persecuted constantly. I see a church that is undergoing terrible trials unbelievable suffering but I also see a church that is full of power I see a church that has power because suffering doesn't make them afraid suffering doesn't shame them it doesn't make them ashamed in fact they rejoice over the fact that they are counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ and so for us suffering is neither unexpected nor is it shameful because the relationship between suffering and glory is embodied in Jesus Christ himself. It's like, a, it's like a coin. The two go together. Are you broken? He was broken for you on the cross. Do you weep? He also wept. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Have you been betrayed by those you consider close? He was sold out for a few pieces of silver. Have people spoken falsely about you? Jesus was falsely accused and was despised, rejected by men. But Jesus knew that the pain and the suffering that he endured on the cross would be transformed into joy and into future glory. So church, may we be those that learn to embrace suffering. I know it's hard to say that and it's hard to live that out, but 
even if we come that much closer today. May we begin to understand that suffering connects us with Jesus as we participate in his sufferings, that it brings future glory and not shame, that it reminds us to commit ourselves to our creator and pushes us to continue to do good. Let me tell you something, the struggle you face today, be it emotional or financial, spiritual or physical, whatever that struggle is, it has the potential to birth something amazing in your life. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. May we be those who do just that. And I pray that we'll be those who find joy even in the difficulties that come our way. Knowing that those difficulties are the materials from which the Lord will fashion hope and joy and one day glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, as we think about suffering through this, uh, through this passage, Father, we just want to acknowledge that um, we are called to live lives that are countercultural. We are reminded once again that we are strangers living in strange times. And as we, as we look back to our brothers and sisters in first century Jerusalem and, 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 and in the Middle East, Lord, and, and the persecutions they went through, and yet they were able to still rejoice. Instead of whinging and complaining and questioning, they rejoiced because they knew, they were fully convinced that the suffering was to build, was to grow us, was to one day in the future bring glory. And so, Father, I just pray that you can change our mindset, that our lives aren't about the pursuit of comfort, that we should embrace suffering when you allow it and see that it, it's for our own good and look forward to the hope that we have in you and anchor for the soul. And Father, we thank you. We want to thank you for the suffering that you do allow in our lives, as hard as it is. Father, we know that it produces perseverance and resilience and hope. And it glorifies you if we see it in its right context. So, Father, we thank you and praise your name this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.